Welcome again, everyone. It's good to see you. Uh, we're continuing with the Eightfold Path, and last week I talked about right view. Um, this week I want to talk about right intention, which is that second factor in the Eightfold Path. And the first factor, right view, is really the um, way to kind of blow up delusion. It's really this invitation to pay full attention to what's happening, to understand the nature of suffering and the end of suffering. So included in the in right view is the teaching of the uh, Four Noble Truths. And also inside of that is the teaching of um, the three characteristics. So really, uh, the invitation is to understand that there is pain, there is suffering in this world, there is dissatisfaction, and that the root of our major suffering, not the pain of being a human being, but the dissatisfaction we feel so often, the root of that is our wanting things to be pleasant all the time, our craving for sensual pleasure, whether it's, you know, relationship sensual pleasure or pleasant thoughts or ideas or sounds or smells or situations and uh, when we don't get what we want we we suffer and we kind of double down on trying to make sure we get what we want and so the Buddha said oh, no that's not going to work and offered this way out so clarity in in understanding our own experience of suffering and how we're caught in that delusion of craving and aversion and um, recognizing that we're attached to impermanent things thinking we can make them permanent or attached to this idea of self this i am this or these I, these fixed views that's what causes so much suffering so the clarity is what's offered in the first factor, the eight right view. The second factor, wise intention, right intention, is the is kind of the bridge between right view, which is this cognitive awareness of, oh, I see how suffering happens. I see why I suffer. I see my little um peculiarities, my conditionings that cause me discomfort, what I'm attached to. And so right view is, it's the, the intention is the bridge between right view and the rest of the path or sila, which is, um, well, the, the next section of the path, which is engagement with the world, how we show up with the world. So it's like seeing and then intention is setting a path creating a, a way to move forward and then um, the the next few factors of the path that we'll talk about over the next few weeks is how do we do this how do we show up in the world that um, takes us away from suffering you know doesn't cause suffering but takes us away from suffering for ourselves and for others and um, so there are three pieces inside of wise intention and as I said last week I say wise and right interchangeably wise intention right intention um, inside of intention is right renunciation um, is, excuse me the intention of, of renunciation the intention of goodwill and the intention of harmlessness 
So I'm going to talk about each of these things. Um, the first one, renunciation, is, um, I mean, I love talking about renunciation because once I understood what it meant, it was, it's almost like, oh yeah, renunciation, it's really letting go. Whereas before I understood it, before I had the experience of it, is truly how it happened. Is I was ex the experience of renunciation, the experience of letting go. I thought it was one of those things that I have to do this just to be a good person. You know, here's the list of how to be a good person, and this is the checklist. And you have to do these things, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant. This is like falling in line, doing what I'm told to do. And that's actually not what it is at all. And there's a sutta that has a line in it that says, the heart leaps at the thought of renunciation. Um, that's probably not what happened when you heard me say renunciation. I don't think your heart leapt, unless it leapt to run away. But it didn't leap for joy at the thought of renunciation. And so what renunciation is is recognizing how we get caught up in craving, recognizing the craving in the wanting something, in the desire. There's a desire. Desire isn't bad in Buddhist teaching. It's not like, you know, I desire to, to live in a way that doesn't cause suffering. I desire to have pizza for dinner or something like that. I desire to be kind. I desire to learn what renunciation is and put it into practice in my life. That's desire. It's when it, it inches over into craving and there's some kind of attachment to outcome or expectation, which is when it, it, it um, causes that suffering, causes us to be stuck. And so what renunciation is, is recognizing when we're caught up. In a, an idea, a thought, some, even if it's great and wonderful and terrific, watching that stickiness, watching, you know, how we're caught, you know, like Velcro, you just get stuck in that and pulling it apart. That's what happens when we're stuck in this. And renunciation is about um, seeing that that stickiness is the suffering. Is the discomfort, is the stress, is the dissatisfaction, is the wanting things to be different from the way they are. And the invitation in this teaching is to make an effort to let go. Make an effort to let go. See what leads to suffering and let it go. You know, it's this. You know, it, it's even, you know, I was talking about being a good person and, and thinking of this as a, as a checklist of if I do all these things, then I will be a good person. And then one day finding that maybe you didn't do one of the good things and coming at yourself with some judgment. Like I talked a couple of weeks ago, I think last week about having that that envy over these folks who got to do this trip across the country and I didn't get to participate. And um, it would be so easy for me to go into this place, which I have in the past, go into this place of you're feeling jealousy. You're not supposed to. 
uh, feel jealousy and then getting caught up in the idea of should Mary should be better than this, this fixed idea of who I am. We get habituated and stuck in these ideas. And so just to recognize that there was the discomfort of not going and then the judgment about Mary should be more perfect than she is. And she's not. She's supposed that's not a checkbox she could check. And instead, letting go of that idea of perfection, which causes so much suffering or this idea that I can't fall down or this idea that emotions don't arise as a reactivity, as a reaction to something. It's what we do with those emotions. It's what we do with those feelings, which is where the wisdom comes in. Instead of judging and, and, and scolding and, and causing more discomfort, it's just like, oh, look at this. And how do we hold that and let go of the idea of I should never feel this? That's nonsense. It's going to come and it's going to go. It's going to come and it's going to go. How do we move through the experience, the experiences that do show up, you know, and recognize what leads to that discomfort? What leads to that suffering? Uh, it's really, it's really challenging. Um, Bhikkhu Bodhi, who wrote the great book, The Noble Eightfold Path, talks about this. And I'm going to read a piece that he wrote because he says it so eloquently. When we get caught up in this and the, the importance of, of um, renunciation, letting go. At the moment desire springs up, it creates in us a sense of lack. And desire as in craving. Um, at the moment it springs up in us, it creates a sense of lack, the pain of want. To end this pain, we struggle to fulfill the desire. If our efforts fail, we experience frustration, disappointment, sometimes despair. But even the pleasure of success is not unqualified. We worry that we might lose the ground we have gained. We feel driven to secure our position, to safeguard our territory, to gain more, to rise higher, to establish tighter controls. This demands, the demands of desire seem endless, and each desire demands the eternal. It wants the things we get to last forever. But all the objects of desire are impermanent whether it be wealth, power, position, or other persons, separation is inevitable. And the pain that accompanies separation is proportional to the force of attachment. Strong attachment brings much suffering. Little attachment brings little suffering. No attachment brings no suffering. So it's this, this vicious cycle that we get caught up in wanting things. And even when we get it, we want it to last or we it shifts or we want it to we fear that we're going to lose it. There's a there's a line in 12 step where it says we're, we're either uh, it all boils down to being afraid of losing something we have or not getting something we want, which is brilliant. And, and I can hone in on that. So what's going on here? Oh, not getting something I want, losing something I have. It's so simple. But it causes so much discomfort. And there's, a, there's another factor in this, that it's not actually what it is we're craving. It's when we get it, we feel, ah, it's not the thing, 
It's the cessation of the craving that eases. The craving has eased. So if we let go of the craving, that's where the peace comes from. That's where the dissipation of suffering comes from, the ease. We get it or we don't. We're equanimous. We're, 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 this is great. I got this. I got you know what I wanted for dinner. I didn't get what I wanted for dinner. And I can hold it without this, this edge that causes so much challenge, so much pain, you know. And uh, renunciation invites us to be courageous, to be willing to uh, be with feelings, to be intimate with things we may not want, but that are here. Letting go of that, that thinking it has to be different. Um, what we do with this renunciation is we incline to mi- incline the mind to let go of what doesn't serve us. Even if we think it's awesome, if we continually suffer from it, it's not serving us. Can you let it go? That's the question that this invitation for uh, renunciation is about. So the next piece in um, right intention is the intention to move through the world with goodwill or loving kindness or friendliness, metta, we often say, towards all. You know, it's unconditional. And this is the antidote to aversion, anger, hatred. Uh, renunciation is the antidote to greed and craving and clinging and goodwill, loving kindness, metta is the antidote to aversion and anger. And so we, it, we are invited to recognize that all beings wish to be happy. All beings wish to be happy. How do we greet all beings with goodwill, with loving kindness? You know, that is challenge. And then the the next part of um, of wise intention is to be is is harmlessness or uh, be compassionate, recognizing that all beings want to be free from suffering. So there's this. This kindness and and compassion as a piece of intention. So we want to move through the world with kindness and compassion. How do we greet what we meet with a soft, compassionate, kind heart? You know, when you look at, um, I don't have the Metta Sutta, but in the Metta Sutta in front of me, but the Metta Sutta, the Buddhist teaching on loving kindness of friendliness, is there's a line that said, omitting none. That means all. Not just the ones I like, not just the ones that think the way I do, who look the way I do, who believe the way I do, who speak the way I do, or the way I think it should be done, but all beings. I want to be hold a kindness, a softness in my heart towards them. And I want to feel compassion towards them for their suffering. 
you know. We don't know why people do what they do. It's not my job to be judge and jury. We sometimes don't know what we, why we do what we do either. You know, it's like I've often asked myself, why do I keep doing these things? You know, it's the deep, deep conditioning oftentimes, this habits of a lifetime, buried biases, buried habits. They're not conscious, but I, I do certain things and I'm like, so I have to offer others the benefit of the doubt. Very important to recognize that, and I and I we talk about this all the time. If people are causing harm, we work to make sure they stop causing harm. We don't say, "Oh, I I have loving kindness and compassion towards you, so just go about doing what you're doing." No, I can stop people or try to stop people from causing harm without holding anger and hatred towards them. That's the invitation of this teaching. Can you turn towards all beings with loving kindness, with compassion, without them matching your idea of what they're supposed to be like and without harboring this hatred or anger or aversion? And recognizing that this is an incredibly challenging place to be or place to get to. It's incredibly challenging because we see horror every day. We see incredible harm. The world is full of greed and, and, and violence and awful behavior. And the automatic response is to be filled again with this, this reaction of anger. And to bring our awareness to our responses is so important. Recognizing those, those naturally occurring reactions, emotions that arise, but be aware so that they don't take over. Recognizing, I try and do this and go, I have made a commitment to show up with loving kindness and compassion. How do I do that while holding these, these um, emotions? So that's an investigation that we each have to embark on. How do we find our way with this? That's part of this. It's really, it can be really complex, which is why the Eightfold Path is not, oh, First factor done, second factor done, third factor done, blah, 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 and then you're done. This is a lifelong um, investigation of our experience, our conditioning, our, our interactions with other beings, our understandings of these teachings. We have to put these things into practice in order to see how we, we engage with the world. And so it's... A lot of times it's allowing these thoughts into our minds, into our consciousness for the first time and going, well, that's a tall order. I don't know how I'm going to do that. But for me, I was willing to say, I'm, I want to give it a try. Because what happens if we are in the grasp of anger and hatred, the other folks don't have any clue. I'm the one who's suffering from that.
I'm the one with the clenched jaw and the tight fists and the, you know, the burning coals in my gut. And that's not how I want to live. And what this does is this inspires me to move in a way that ends harming. It's like I believe in harmlessness for myself and I th- and obviously for others as well. So what can I do? And we'll get more into this as we move into the next portion of the Eightfold Path, which is that the sila ethical behavior practices. But to have this intention to be show up with goodwill and compassion. And um, another piece of this is there's a near enemy of, 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 of this metta loving kindness is watching that we don't get caught up in thinking it should be a certain way or attached to outcomes. You know, I will love you if... I will be compassionate if, or thinking that if I offer you goodwill and I am compassionate towards you, then X, Y, and Z should happen. We have to, that's, that's desire, that's craving, that's getting caught up in um, an attachment to a particular idea or a should. And so we have to be willing to let those go as well. It's so important. It's so easy to get caught up, especially if we think this is the right way. This is what should happen. I know what's best. So that's still, we may know what's best. We may know what's the right way, but let go of that um, need to have it be the way you want it to be right here, right now. And then, um, I always like to throw in the idea that that loving kindness metta practice is not magic pixie dust. Along those same lines, it's not something we throw at people and their lives automatically get better or they automatically are filled with compassion. It's really a practice about ourselves, how we take ourselves away from suffering. With the recognition that as we practice for the benefit of ourselves, it benefits others. If I can show up with kindness and compassion, that's going to have a beneficial impact on folks I meet. I, I've, I know I've said this before, but I, I started practicing this years ago, and I think it was Atlanta Airport, because I get very judgy when I, I'm in a place with a lot of people, and I just sit there and I watch them, and I look how they're dressed, and I look what, they, what they're wearing or whatever, and I make all kinds of pronouncements about their lifestyles and who they really are and their whole history and what they believe just based on you know a three second um watching them walk by and then I had to stop and go oh I forgot I love you and what that does is that displaces this judging mind this unthinking judging mind this just this random blah blah the mind's going here mind's going there with this intention of kindness and then as you continue to do that it that's what becomes more habitual not the judging comparing but the kindness and compassion so it's a practice that takes time as they say why not right what else am I going to do what else am I going to do and as in the it said in the Dhammapada the mind follows the mind the more we incline the mind in this wholesome direction the more the mind will move in this wholesome direction. You know, whatever we think about frequently will become the inclination of the mind. 
And then my, one of my very favorite sayings is uh, about this is intention leads to action, action leads to habit, habit leads to character, and character leads to destiny. So our intention is so important. This wholesome intention, this intention to let go of craving, this intention to be in the world with kindness, friendliness, compassion, so important. And why not? Why not? Why not? That's that's what I always ask. I always ask that question about why not? So why not be wholesome? Oh, there's one other thing I want to share, and this came from... Um, Gregory Kramer's book, A Whole Life Path, and he talks about intention, and I, and I like this. He talks about the time scales of intention, which can be helpful as we, as we put this teaching into practice. He talks about there's momentary intention where it's noticing the tendency in each moment. This, as I, I talked about, the habitual reaction that shows up. And as we are uh, mindful, because intention just like right view was is supported by mindfulness and effort if we're paying attention in the moment we can shift our intention oh i can be kind like as i as i said at the airport blah 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 oh those people are this those people are that and then recognizing that tendency that habit and then go oh no my intention is to be kind and shifting it so there's that momentary intention to change how we show up and then he says there's an episodic intention that we can set for ourselves where we want to last a particular time frame where, you know, maybe we're going into a meeting with someone. I had people I used to work with years ago. I used to do audits and I'd have to spend a couple of hours with at a time with people doing audits. And there were people I wasn't crazy about. And I remember one time driving out to this, uh, driving a couple of hours to meet this one person who I just thought was creepy. And I was all about, he's so creepy, blah, 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 blah. And then recognizing it's like, can I be nice for two hours? Can I not be sarcastic? Can I not be nasty? Can I just be nice for two hours and then be done and get in my car and leave? So I didn't know anything about right intention then. But it helped me make it through that episode. And I came out the other side not feeling crappy because I had been rude or blah, blah, or we didn't get into it or whatever. And it's like there's a beneficial um, aspect to doing this. Sometimes that's, that, that's um, visceral almost immediately. And then the bigger picture is the the um, overarching intention that is just the direction of our life, which is this teaching of wise intention, you know, practicing renunciation and kindness and compassion. So I, I like that so that we're not forced to go, oh, change your life right now. It's like do it in um, do it little by little and slowly change the direction of the ship. You can't just turn an ocean liner and have it turn on a dime. It has to slowly change direction and move where it's headed. So, okay. I think that that's it. You know, I, I think that's all I have to say about wise intention. I'm sure there's things I've, I've left out, but I want to thank you for your kind attention.
Thank you for visiting Undefended Dharma. These teachings are freely offered. However, if you would like to make a donation to help support the technology that makes these podcasts possible, please visit marystancavage.org backslash support. Thank you.